Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Felton. There are many runners out there who aspire to become coaches. There are probably just as many coaches who never plan on becoming a coach in the first place. Greg McMillan is one of the latter, but very few coaches have been as lucky as he has. Greg has worked with some of the most well-known coaches in the history of the sport in his career, including Dr. Joe V. Hill, Dr. Gabriela Rosa, and perhaps most importantly, Arthur Lydiard during the last week of the legendary New Zealand coach's life. While his professional running group, McMillan Elite, disbanded following the 2013 season, Greg continues to coach several of the elite athletes from that group, as well as operating his website, mcmillanrunning.com. He hopes to start a new group within the next few years. A few of the topics Greg and I talked about were New Zealand coach Arthur Lydiard and his impact on the sport, Greg's famed pace calculator, the McMillan Elite Training Group that Greg coached in Flagstaff, Arizona, and the importance of individuality in training. We'd like to thank Greg for his time today and wish him and his athletes the best of luck in their upcoming races. Any resources that were mentioned in this interview can be found at runnersconnect.net slash rc40. Thanks for listening, and without further ado, Greg McMillan. Tell us a little about where you're from and how uh, how you started running. I grew up in rural Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, and... Like a lot of people that grew up in the country, I was super active as a kid. Our range of play was very, very wide. It was back in those nostalgic days that people talk about where kids actually play outside until mama calls them in for supper, if you will. And so that was my upbringing was was playing a lot. And I was very fortunate that our elementary school system created what they called countywide field day. And that's where in PE class we would do all the usual you know, physical activity things like the standing broad jump and the softball throw, Mm -hmm. mile run. And whoever, the top two from their school uh, who who were the best at that event got to go to the countywide field day, which might as well have been the Super Bowl to us because we got to go to the high school football stadium and compete. Well, I ended up winning the mile in my school and then went to the countywide field day and won it there. This was third grade. And uh, I kept winning it every year after that. So if you're a kid and uh, you, you win something, then, then you feel pretty good and you start to enjoy it. And that, that really was my start as a runner. But like I said, it really came from just being a very active kid. So did you run? So I'm assuming high school. And then did you run post high school? I did. I ran in high school. I was state champion in the 1600 meters. And then I got a college scholarship to the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, and ran there for two and a half years and then transferred to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, which is the main campus that people think of as the University of Tennessee. I didn't run there, but they had an exercise physiology program that I was interested in, and that prompted the, the transfer. Cool. So how did you get into coaching from, from the University of Tennessee and ex- exercise physiology program? If you are studying exercise science in any way, soon enough people will start asking you for advice. And so, you know, as it happened, hanging around with other people who were training, they started asking me advice and I would tell them what I was learning in school and then suddenly I was writing training programs and suddenly they were calling me a coach. So it wasn't something I set out to do, but it just sort of happened that way. 
sounds like a better way to start than others could have hoped for. So who are some of your main influences in, that you were studying either in school or once you started, quote-unquote, fi- formally coaching people? Yeah, my biggest influences have been Arthur Lydiard. Uh, I think most people who um, get into coaching, at least the way I did, he's always kind of the father of, of everything. Um, Joe Vigil, I've been very lucky to be able to be around Coach Vigil quite a bit. He also lives in Arizona, so we, we chat frequently. Uh, David Martin, who wrote Better Training for Distance Runners and helped with uh, Sebastian Coe's dad. Uh, been really lucky to be around him. Nabi Hashizumi, who's a Lydiard guy, but also from Japan, so I learned a lot about Japanese training from him. Guy Avery, who's a wonderful coach in Tennessee, uh, works with really well with high school runners at the moment, but is a phenomenal coach. I learned a lot uh, from him. And then Gabriela Rosa, I had the chance to work with with him when he had the FILA Discovery USA program in the early 2000s. I was the on-site coach uh, for that team, and that was good to to be around Palter God and some of those really high-level African runners and and see the blending of an Italian training system with um, African athletes was pretty amazing. So tell us a little more about the FILA Discover USA. How did that come to be? And you said there were some pretty high-level athletes there. Palter God, for those that don't know, former world record holder in the marathon, how did you get involved in that? Well, Turgot was part, wasn't part of our group, but he was coached by Gabriela Rosa. And Rosa started what he called Discovery Kenya. And that was a series of races for young kids all the way up to sort of post, our post-collegiate age uh, guys. And that was really a talent identification program in Kenya. And it was super successful because it did produce Moses Tanui and Paul Turgot a lot of great male and female runners. And he had the idea that they would transfer that system over to the U.S. And they, he had an agreement with FILA at the time. So FILA said, well, let's do it. We'll call it Discovery USA. And that's where uh, they would kind of interview a lot of different runners, select them. They would come to a training camp at altitude, train for 12 weeks, and then go race some major marathon. Uh, I was actually the second on-site coach. The first on-site coach left about a year and a half after the program started, and I was friends with one of the athletes in the program. And So when they were looking for a coach, he said, well, Greg could do it. And suddenly I was on a plane to the Boston Marathon sitting down meeting with Dr. Rosa, and, and he hired me on the spot, and it was, uh, it was a great opportunity. Josh Cox was probably the most well-known athlete to come out of that program, but we had a national champion on the women's side, at Jill Gatenby now, she's Jill Boaz. So, we, you know, we had a lot of athletes in the world championships. We had athletes improving, and this was at a time when the distance running group uh, thing really got going in the U.S. again. The Hansets had started a few years earlier. There a lot of the Team USA programs had gotten started. So it was a fun time to to get in there and, and learn a lot and, and experiment and see could we begin the resurgence of U.S. distance running. Yeah, kind of a uh, kind of a, a grassroots vanguard type deal. <laughs> so you talked about Arthur Lydiard before. Um, first of all, personal curiosity: what was he like as a person? He, if you were around him for five minutes, you wanted to be a better person. He's very similar to Joe Vigil in that in that way, and you could definitely see how the athletes 
uh, were really motivated and inspired by him. And he was very caring, but he also was very firm. And uh, he just believed in doing the work. That was the nice thing about Arthur was that he just recognized, hey, if you want to be good, it's going to take a while and you're going to have to be disciplined and dedicated. And if you do that all right, then you can go out and really succeed. And I was super lucky to spend the last week of his life with him and touring around the state of Texas. And Texas is a very large state, so you get a lot of time in the car together. It was a dream come true for me. That sounds like a dream. That does sound like a dream come true. Um, <laughs> there's a clinic he gave. It's like a three-hour-long audio file, and he sounds and yeah. sounds like he was quite the person to be around. Yeah, so, he personality was you know he had that magnetic personality, and he had the ability to. I think like Gagliano, V Hill. There are some of those coaches that just really inspire their athletes, and and I think Lydiard had a very sound training philosophy and then he combined that with the ability to to really inspire and motivate his athletes i'd agree of course he's probably understood more in the western world because he spoke english <laughs> which a lot of german or asian coaches did not yeah um so how has your understanding of his method evolved maybe first describe it a little for those that don't know exactly how it's structured and then kind of how it's how your understanding of it has, has gone well, the secret to Lydiard training, and this is what he figured out, is that we know the training an athlete should do to perform their best in a given event, but oftentimes the athlete's not ready to do that training. So then you have to do training to be prepared to do the training. And so Lydiard's method was you have to do this preparatory training to be ready to do the race-specific training, and that was really different than what... Uh, most coaches were doing at the time in the 50s and 1960s when he was um, sort of coaching the best athletes in the world with Peter Snell, Murray Halberg, and that. And so his philosophy is you have to be able to prepare yourself for the next sequence of training. So that all revolved around first you have this base training, this ability to improve your oxygen uptake, your ability to be more aerobically efficient and you have to prepare the musculoskeletal system to handle the training that's coming. And then he would just take that athlete and say, okay, now you're ready for the next phase. And he would typically do some sort of hill phase, again, to prepare the body for the speed training that was coming later. And he, at the time, was really working with middle distance runners primarily, 800 meters, 1500 meters, and 3000. And at that time in the world, they had fewer events than we have now, so they really were targeting one or two peaks per year. So Lydiard, to me, is all about doing the training so you can do the training so you can finally do the training you need to do to be your best on race day. So the application of that in, in practice was a lot of long, steady, and sometimes really fast runs, followed by a lot of long hill repeats, finally followed by a lot of track intervals. So that, that approach doesn't people aren't generally willing to spend that kind of time to race for just a little while. So I'm sure this has come up with you, for you too. So how has your, how have you changed your implementation of his methods of, of those? 
I had a lot of conversations with Lorraine Moeller, who's also from New Zealand, bronze medalist, and Peter Schnell, um, and, and those kind of athletes that were under that system. And what I realized is if you're going to race more, then all you have to do is just tweak the phases a little bit, the workouts within the phases. You still need to follow sort of the same path. It's just you can incorporate uh, small segments of workouts every now and then, and you can be a little bit more race-ready year-round. But it's still important to follow the path because you have to have the endurance base first in order to stack on top of it this speed component. So from those guys, I realized, well, you need to most of the time say 70-75% of the base training needs to be you know, sort of a linear type base training, but you can still insert some race specific work so you're a little bit more prepared uh, for the more frequent racing that people do today. And, you know, I, I think it can be done quite easily uh, and the athletes don't have to inter interrupt their total long-term development for these short-term goals, but yet they can be ready to perform uh, fast you know, more frequently throughout the year. Have there been any specific athletes or specific instances that have taught you one thing or another about how to about how to apply these methods? Yeah, when I started the training group here in Flagstaff called McMillan Elite, um, you know, the goal was to implement everything I had learned from these people and and see if we could take tier three or tier two athletes and move them up. And the very the first two athletes that came were Andrew Limoncello and Brett Gocher. And both of them, we just sat down and said, it's going to be two years. We need two years of kind of going through this system a few times in order to get your base, your aerobic base, your endurance capabilities, your stamina up, and then we can add the speed on top of it. And so with both those athletes, it was pretty much two years to the day that they ran, that they were able to to sort of move up a notch. You know, Brett certainly running two ten in the marathon as his debut. That was a big that was a big accomplishment uh, for a guy who was second to last in the ten k at NCAA's his final year. So you know, it's just a process of taking the athlete, understanding the training system, understanding the process, and that it's going to take a while, but yet racing within that and, and tailoring the, the training so that it meshes with each individual athlete because everybody's slightly different. Absolutely. So you've done a lot of work, obviously, with, with pretty high-level athletes. How do you, and that, but you're probably more famous for your, for your personal coaching of everyday people. So how do you yeah. go about making plans for everyday people well it's it's the same process to be honest it's all about taking them from where they are looking at them trying to get a good picture of this athlete where are they right now and where do they want to go and then what's a reasonable path from start to finish and so the process isn't that much different uh, the speeds are different obviously but Absolutely. the process isn't really that different you're just trying to make sensible training for athletes again going back to Lydiard where you say this athlete isn't quite prepared to do the training that he or she needs to do before their goal race what is the preparatory training we need to do with a beginner that obviously they don't have a history of running. They don't have an aerobic base built up. We sometimes we don't even know their athletic ability because they've never done anything athletic. And so we have to go through a process of just 
teaching them how to train. And then you get some clues and you're able to uh, sort of modify this structure so that they build up the endurance and the stamina they need. And then you sprinkle in some speed and sometimes some sprint and uh, help them get to their goal race. And the challenge with the non-elite athlete is that they're busy people. Elite athletes is easier because you know they're going to go home and eat, stretch, and go to bed, whereas other people, you're trying to fit training into their life. And so what I try to do with the most of the athletes I work with is design really good training programs to help them get ready for their goal race, but that fit within their lifestyle, and that can be a challenge these days. I'm sure. In your experience of creating plans for all kinds of people, what, where do you what area of running do you think people could improve the most? Their aerobic base or their speed or somewhere in between? They need more variety. We get stuck in doing the same training all the time. And so what what people need to do is have a little bit more variety. Beginners need a lot of variety so that they can experience different workouts and begin to learn different effort levels and how to pace themselves and that sort of thing. And a lot of seasoned runners really kind of fall into a rut. They get into their usual routine and they do the same training all the time. So you need to mix it up a little bit. So again, you have to look at the person and see where do you feel like their deficiencies are. But I would say on the whole, people need more variety in their training and they need to um, kind of figure themselves out a little bit uh, as to where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are and then think about their program uh, to sort of overcome those weaknesses and capitalize on the strengths. That's a different answer than I was expecting. Most <laughs> would say, well, in general, X, Y, or Z. So, well, I don't think it's an equation. I think that's, that's another thing I learned from Arthur because we toured and so we would, you know, people would come up and ask him questions and I would be standing there and he would, he would talk to a person and they would look or present kind of as if they were the same as the person he had just answered the question to, but he might give the opposite reply. And what I figured out was he was teasing out the uniqueness about that athlete. And so one athlete, he'd say, oh, no, you need to do more speed work, whereas another athlete would say, no, no, you're doing too much speed work. You need to do less, even though those other athletes may appear to be kind of the same. They're both, you know, same age, same performance level. But he was really learning that that individual athlete needs maybe need to do something different than somebody that looks just like them. And that's sort of what I try to apply to when I'm working with an athlete. I don't think it's X, Y, and Z. I think it's who are you, where are your strengths and weaknesses, where are we going? Let's kind of build a program that gradually uh, progresses you toward it. Interesting. So what, given what we just said, what we were just discussing that everybody's different and everybody needs a different kind of, different kind of work. What, what in general would a plan of yours kind of look like? Oh, they're all over the place. It's, uh, it's really variable. I don't have, it's not a cookie cutter situation. I certainly have a philosophy and I have workouts for different events that I think are critical and I want to make sure I put in there. But my goodness, if you looked at 10 different training plans for the half marathon, you would see really different plans. They would have some commonalities, but that individual, uh, the uniqueness of the individual could really change the plan a lot. So I don't really go into it with the idea that you have to do X in order to be good. I, I really look at it to, to feel like 
who are you and where are we trying to get you to? And that training may may look really different than your training partners because sometimes we're just different as <laughs> our unique capabilities. That's kind of refreshing to hear, actually. There's a, there's a lot of people out there who will say, I need to do, you know, I need to do this type of workout this day and this type of workout that day. And they're just beat, they end up beating their head against a wall because it just doesn't work for them. And they don't really want to hear that it doesn't work for them. Yeah, dogmatic training is not my style. Again, I, I really learned from Lydiard and V. I mean, all the guys that I mentioned, um, if you look at them, they have their philosophies. They certainly have produced their training plans. But when you talk with them, you get to know them and, and you you know go to go to conferences and listen to them speak, you really get the sense that they have this underlying base of general training principles that we've kind of learned over the last hundred years work with athletes. But then it's all about tailoring those to that particular individual. And that's why it's important for all coaches to be open to the individual and not say, well, I did this type of training it worked for me so it must work for you that's sometimes not the best plan in my opinion i agree that i i know of, i know some people who very much agree because their running careers were probably not as good as they could have been because of that so i want to shift gears a bit one of the, the aspect of your coaching that you're probably most well known for is is your pace calculator tell us about your pace calculator how does it work and you know how did you come up with that <laughs> When I was in graduate school, I mentioned when I was an undergrad, I started coaching athletes, and I've always been really fortunate to work with a wide range of athletes. I get to work with some people who are just coming off the couch or out from behind the computer, a lot of people who are trying to set a PR, qualify for Boston, or win their age group, and then some athletes who are at the front of the pack. And if you work with that broad range of athletes, it makes prescribing training pace is challenging because if you're coaching someone who's similar in performance ability to you it's pretty easy you know tempo pace well you kind of have an idea of what that may be you even kind of know well if you run this time for 5k i got an idea of what you can run for 10k but it's harder if somebody's much slower or much faster than you so i was using sort of the rules of thumbs and available um sort of calculations at the time to try to to help my athletes. And I also was studying uh, exercise physiology in graduate school, and my particular research was on predicting race times using another race. And so uh, combining all those together, I, I could never find one tool that did everything I wanted it to do for all of my athletes. There were some tools that were really awesome for beginning runners or slow runners and some were great for more experienced runners or elite runners some were great with shorter distance athletes and some were better with long distance athletes and some were good but they were kind of tedious to use and so I just started thinking well I'm learning all this in school and I've got a good idea from the athletes I'm working with I think I can come up with a better system that'll work for me and really, I created it for me and my coaching. Uh, so that was the beginning of essentially staying up very late during graduate school to create what now, uh, which started as an Excel spreadsheet, of course, and now became the McMillan Running Calculator that's online. And so it's just a tool where people can 
get an idea of their optimal training paces for all types of different workouts so they can feel comfortable that as long as I'm in the pace range, I'm going to get the benefit from the workout that I'm supposed to. And then also to help with race planning so they know, well, if I did a tune-up race uh, in, in a certain time, what can I expect for my goal race? Which is exactly what coaches are always doing. You're trying to prescribe the proper paces for athletes and then help them with their their races. And so that's kind of how I got started was really just out of my need and want to have one tool that was super easy to use that fit into what I was learning in school that I felt was was ideal. That must have been quite a project to synthesize all those tools. <laughs> yeah, I, out there. I probably should have studied more in graduate school, but I uh, I was I was passionate about helping runners and and I really wanted a tool that that could work. And to be honest, it was a great way to apply what I was learning. I, I you know I had really good professors and other graduate students I was working with. And so it was, uh, it was time well spent to, to create something that could help me with my athletes. And I'm, I'm super happy that more people, you know, are able to use it as well. It's been online for over 10 years now, so it's nice that other people can use it too. I've definitely used it myself a couple of times. I don't remember what actually came of it, but I know I have. <laughs> so speaking of tools, um, you, you seem to talk about pace a little more than maybe effort or other ways of measuring. What do you think people should should use things like a GPS watch or a heart rate monitor or certain things like that? I think they should take advantage of all of those tools. And all of the tools, the only purpose they serve is to help you learn your own effort. So all training ultimately could come down to be effort-based, right? You should be able to go out and feel the workout, feel the effort that you need to for that particular stress to your body, that stimulus you're going for. But of course, most of us, we, we need some external guidance, and that's where heart rate or now pace is so prevalent with GPS monitors. Any of that can be extremely helpful. It, it is just the tool, though. It's not the master, it's the tool. So people need to use it to where they're able to, to go out and begin to feel um, their effort levels during these different workouts. And if you do that long enough, and this is what seasoned runners can do, they pretty much could leave the watch at home and go out and perform a workout and get the same benefit from it because they're really dialed into their own effort level. So I think pace is the easiest thing for people to use because it, you know, it's it with GPS, it's, it's super accurate and, and available these days. Uh, heart rate can be good as well. You just have to be careful in the times when it can be uh, confounded by, say, a heat load or hydration or something like that. But all of them are, are wonderful at teaching athletes uh, their own effort level. And that's why I think they should do a, a variety of workouts. And so that way they get familiar with different paces, different pace ranges, different durations. And that'll help them when they get into a race because a race essentially is about doling out your effort appropriately across the full distance so that you arrive at the line uh, with your best performance. Absolutely. Heart rate, my own personal anecdote, it seemed to teach me more about what an easy day was than what a hard day was because I think everybody knows what hard feels like, but do we know what true what truly easy feels like? Yeah, I've did it before as well. You wear a heart rate monitor for every day for a month 
and then you should not need to wear it all the time because you should be clued in to your own effort level. And if you need an external device to, to keep you slow, which is what most others use, like you just said, then uh, it's, it's great. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears again. Um, you mentioned earlier your uh, the post-collegiate training group you were coaching in Flagstaff called McMillan Elite. Tell us about that group. Was it similar to the to the Discover USA program? Where did it come about? Yeah, it was after uh, FILA had pulled their sponsorship of the Discover USA team in the middle of 2002, I believe it was. And we were starting to have some good results. And so I always had this feeling of an unfinished business. I wanted to, to kind of give it a go again. And like I said, I was the on-site coach and Gabriella Rosa was the head coach. So it was his training we were implementing. So for me, I always had the idea, well, I'd like to give it a shot on my own, see if I could be the coach and help athletes get a little better. And was lucky to have the opportunity to, to start it uh, in 2007, moved here to Flagstaff because I felt like uh, this would be a great place for them to, to develop, um, again, being influenced by Joe V. Hill, who had had such success with Team USA California at that time. And so that was the idea, and luckily, athletes like Andrew Limoncello and Brett Gocher, we've had a lot of good athletes come through the program, and for basically six years, uh, we were able to, you know, win eight national championships, put a lot of people on world championship teams. We had two Olympic alternates uh, the, in 2012, and so it was it was a lot of fun to to kind of challenge myself and see. If I could, if I could do it <laughs> with the the faster level athletes, and and had a great chance to do that, and wonderful relationships with athletes, and not everybody improved to the level that they wanted, but that's just sort of goes with the times of uh, trying to be the best runner you can be. Uh, and Adidas did not renew their sponsorship of. Uh, their, their contract at the end of 2013 and so the program uh, ended at that time and I have a six-year-old son so I decided for the next few years I'm going to be a little bit more focused on family and then after that maybe pick it up again and uh, and have more of a training group. I still coach Angela Michello, Brett Gocher and I'll coach some elite runners but it just won't be as a, a group where we meet every day and um, have such a time commitment uh, that I um, I want to spend a little bit more time with family right now. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable, um, especially with a young son like that. So well, he still likes me at this point, so I figure I better be around him until he he doesn't want me around. <laughs> sounds 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 again sounds pretty reasonable. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the group. What was what was what were some of the goals of it? How did it how was it funded? How does that how does that process work? <laughs> Yeah, we we started uh, sort of self-funded mostly with my wife and I um, able to to get it started, and then lucky that Adidas came on board and they had an ever-growing uh, financial support into the group, which was wonderful. Allowed us to offer the athletes more benefits and better health benefits. In particular, was was really nice to be able to keep them healthy. And then we started getting grants from New York Roadrunners Club and Houston Marathon Foundation, USA Track and Field Foundation. A lot of those groups are really uh, supporting the training groups, and without them, a lot of training groups wouldn't survive. And 
we just set it up as, again, kind of a stepwise program. We had a five-year plan where we started with trying to be top 10 at U.S. championships. And then the next year, we were trying to be top five. And then the next year, we wanted to be top three. And then we wanted to have somebody win a national championship. So it was, again, sort of Lydiard-esque in that we just took it stepwise. We were trying to realize that it's a process. And particularly with athletes who aren't coming out of college as a national champion or, or podium placer, in Division One, we, we were working with, you know, a different type of athlete. And so we needed more time to develop them. And we just set it up with those kind of ever-increasing goals. And we're lucky that a lot of athletes just kept improving and we could, we could accomplish. We accomplished every goal that we had on that list except a U.S. Olympian. We had two Olympic alternates in 2012. But from our 2007 plan to 2012, we accomplished every single year. We accomplished the goals, and that that was a great feeling. That's certainly not very easy to do in the uh, <laughs> in the world of elite running. I hope uh, I hope you do get to try again because I think I, I would follow it from you know here and there when athletes would come up and, res- and race results, and it seemed like you had a yeah. really good thing going, and I was I was surprised and sorry to see that the group had 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 to disband well that's okay i mean like i said the timing was was not too bad and we we knew it was coming we had some advance notice so mostly athletes could begin to find different situations uh, of support and so that was nice that it wasn't sort of sudden and and like i said it gave me a chance to say well what I want to do right now. And, uh, it's, it's hard for me to hear other parents say, you know, we always hear you need to spend time with your family. And so I'm very fortunate to be able to choose to do that. And so I'll do that for a little while, but I, I still, you know, I love coaching athletes. I love coaching athletes who are just getting into the sport. And I love the athletes who are trying to go to the Olympics. I think it's fun to, to work with people that are that are putting big challenges out there and trying to meet them, no matter if they're fast or, or less fast. Yeah, that would be uh, that's a, that sounds like a worthy goal, no matter what. So you based your group at Flagstaff, and I've read and heard a few things with you where you talk about altitude training and its benefits and almost necessity at this point to be on the top top of the of the podium so tell us about your approach to altitude training and how you kind of came to believe in that well my feeling was that the aerobic base is missing for u.s runners and that's what we know is that we just don't have enough aerobic training v hill always talks about the average kenyan athlete who is you know, high school graduation age is 18,000 miles more training than the, than the same equivalent U.S. runner. Well, that's, that's hard to overcome. So he believed that what we have to do is get them to altitude where there's a greater aerobic stress, build them over time to where they can kind of catch up aerobically. And if you can do that and just it takes, you know, two or three, four years then they have the capability to go out and compete uh, at the highest level. So when I was looking at where to base a group, I felt that altitude was important because we were getting athletes who were not national champions and 
oftentimes did not have as much aerobic base training as they needed or they needed to continue to develop it. And like I mentioned, bringing athletes in and saying, okay, we need two years to get your aerobic development, your base built, and then we can get an idea of just how good you can be. And I think that altitude is very effective at doing that because you get a greater aerobic stress on less miles. You can do it at sea level as well, but you typically have to run a lot more miles. You can think of, say, Bill Squire's group where you had Bill Rogers and those guys. They were running really mega mileage, and uh, we felt like we could get by with a little less mileage at altitude, which I felt was important to keep them healthy and then be able to, to kind of add the speed component. And so if you look at altitude and trails and clean air and fresh air, and, hmm. uh, the ability, Flagstaff's sort of unique because you can get down to um, 4,000 feet and 3,000 feet pretty quickly that you can do kind of high-low training if you want, and there's really great medical care here and facilities. So that whole package together, I felt like, um, Flagstaff was the place and, and I had talked to Weldon Johnson of Let's Run fame when he was out here training uh, in early 2000s and and when I talked to him he was pretty confident that this was the best place and talked to Coach V Hill and he you know he's a big believer in getting people to altitude so it was kind of a no-brainer for us and luckily the athletes you know, responded to it and the training system was gradual enough to allow them to keep developing. And once we got them a couple of years in, it's, it's almost interesting. You get a couple of years of base in, you're able to, to really transition into higher performance. You can look at Amy Van Alstine, who just won the U.S. Cross Country Championships. She came to Flagstaff almost two years ago to the day. And now she's, you know, at a whole different level. And I suspect she's going to continue to improve because she's got a couple of years of endurance base under her belt. And now she's ready to take off. And I, I suspect she and, and Ben Rosario, her new coach, uh, they're going to, they're really going to light it up soon. That's kind of uncanny that it happens, that, that the window is, is almost that precise. But, um, I think with the developing athletes, it is. You can even look at someone like Kim Conley. You know, her coach, Drew Wartenberg, has done a brilliant job of bringing her along. But I bet if you sat down and talked to him, he would say it was probably two years after she got out of college that he felt like she was at a completely different level. And it just, it's just the way the body works, that you have to have that underlying aerobic ability, that base. And once you have that then you can your performance can can go to a completely new level and we see that with the coaches like a Jerry Schumacher and Mark Wetmore some of these guys who really seem to have that that base building this sort of strength type programs they seem to be the ones that produce consistently good athletes so is there anything that a average runner who say doesn't live at altitude and doesn't really have capability to go at altitude i live at i want to say it's about 2,000 feet here so you might notice at the first run but that's really about it is yeah. there anything anybody can do to to kind of simulate that well the main thing for non-altitude athletes when really altitude athletes as well is don't get hurt you just need to stack 
successful week on top of successful week on top of successful week. Most athletes don't run their best. They don't feel, fulfill their potential because their training keeps getting interrupted by injury. So they need to get their musculoskeletal system stronger uh, to be able to handle the training in the future. The problem, of course, is that when we train, we feel our cardiovascular system. We feel our breathing. We feel sort of our effort in a cardiovascular way. But that system never gets injured. Nobody wakes up after a workout and goes, oh, my heart is sore from that. Those hundreds <laughs> I did. Well, you know, that doesn't happen. It's the musculoskeletal system that gets injured. But it adapts at a slower rate than the cardiovascular system. So the training has to be sort of at that 80 to 90% level instead of 100%. And if you keep it at 80, 90%, then you'll stay healthy. And if you can stay healthy for a year or two, then you've got the aerobic base built and you can add, you, your performances will significantly improve. So I don't think you have to be at altitude. I think you just have to not get hurt. Well, that's certainly something that uh, most people would, would love to never have to deal with. <laughs> One, another thing you were talking about earlier is a, a lot of people just entering the sport. I think most would agree there's a really big disconnect between those who, people who run and people who are fans of running. Anything you see that we might be able to do about that? Well, that's a, that's a $64,000 question, isn't it? Uh there's there's a large fan base of the pro side of the sport, um, and we're just now starting to see a way to connect all those people together. I think Let's Run kind of started it, and then Flow Track is really taking it to a, a new level. And now we need somebody besides little startups like those guys to step in and make the connections. Uh, that's all. That's going to have to come from from really high up. That's going to have to come from very, very large race organizations, uh, national governing bodies to get the media involved, get, um, get more connection between the average runner and the fast runner. And, you know, races can help, but, you know, what's their incentive really? Uh, it's, it's tough for us who are fans because we want everybody to love the sport like we do. But, uh, I think it will, I think it will evolve over time. It's going to be very interesting because running now is is popular everywhere you go. There are runners. If you're Absolutely. a runner these days, you're not a weirdo. You're you're normal. In fact, if you watch TV commercials, when running's in it, it's usually the happy, successful people that are in that are running. So we're in an interesting time right now, and it it will be neat to see. But we have some wonderful athletes, and it would be great if we had a better platform for them to tell their stories and people to get behind them I'd, I'd love to see that as well absolutely so just a couple more things because i want to keep you too long you have a, a book that you just came out recently i have uh, i've seen it i haven't read it it's called remy you and then parentheses only faster right can you describe that book a little bit for those who haven't read it well that book was written uh to explain my coaching system how I work with athletes. And so I wrote it as if you and I were sitting down together to plan your training. So the whole book is walking you through sort of the thought process, the decision-making, 
the fundamental principles that I use when designing a program. And this can be used for training programs of mine, which are in the book. It can be used with other training programs. It doesn't matter. It's trying to teach the tools so that you can take any program and make it more personalized for you. That's why the name is You Only Faster. It's all about understanding yourself and then how that might inform your training. So I have several different uh, sort of steps you need to go through in order to learn more about yourself. There's a personal running evaluation in there, which is really trying to tease out more about your particular physical and mental traits. And then a lot of different things you should consider as you train for your event. So it's, it's really, sit, like I said, I wrote it as if you and I were sitting down together to build your own training plan with the hope that by the time you finish the book, you would have a really good idea of what your training should look like going forward. And, and the more you can customize training, I think the better chance you have of running your best. I'm sure that's not something you get to do with too many of your of the people who you who, who's who pro- follow your type of program is actually sit down with them and plan their training. So this sounds like a really cool tool for a lot of people. Yeah, it's fun. So, what are some other books that people might consider that people should probably you think people should probably read? Well, I think if you're a serious runner or a coach, then you have to read. Uh, Arthur Lydiard's book, uh, that's sort of required reading, I think, for everybody. Joe V. Hill's book, Road to the Top, is is another thing. I like uh, Pete Fitchinger and Scott Douglas's books, Road Racing for Serious Runners and Advanced Marathon Training. I think those are excellent books at providing good sort of sound philosophy. Jack Daniel's book, obviously, uh, is wonderful, particularly after you've read those others because it kind of ties it all together from a scientific standpoint. And I really like uh, chapter five, really one chapter is, is really great for most people, of better training for distance runners. That is, again, it shows, it start. what you're trying to do is get a base of these general principles so that then you can pick up any book, any training plan, and you can understand the underlying philosophy of it. You can understand what they're trying to get at because we all call things different things, right? There's, there's workouts people talk about. And you need to tease out, well, what exactly is that workout? What is it trying to get at? So those are kind of the four or five books that I always say, you know, read those. I think you'll get a good basic understanding of training. And then from that, you can read any other book, look at any other training plan, and you'll have an idea what they're talking about. So, for example, somebody might say, do five times a mile at race pace. Well, well, what race pace? I need to know more because if it's 5K race pace, then that's pretty fast workout. If it's marathon race pace, that's not so fast. Likewise, if you're a two-hour marathoner, well, your race marathon race pace is, is a lot different than a four-hour marathoner's race pace and the effect. So, uh, again, you're just trying to educate yourself so that you can, you can make better decisions about your own training. So those are, those are kind of my top books. Those are, I think, those are all great books. I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to read all of those, and yeah, and, uh, I would agree. Yeah. The, uh, the better training for distance runners is that the chapter where he talks about all the different names for different workouts and why those aren't necessary. Yeah, and it really just sort of how to how to build the house. He's talking about it in, in how to build a house, and the rooms of the house are kind of the components. And he, he that's that's what I had to learn in the beginning. 
because when you start reading, and I really enjoyed reading old running books. I was really trying to learn from the past. And these guys call the same workout different names. So you need some decoder ring almost in coaching to right. figure out what they're talking about. And I think these books give that foundation that allow you to go out and decode any other workout, any training plan that you see. And that's critical. Certainly if you're a coach, you have to be doing that because you need to be you know, you, you need to understand what is a coach trying to get at with that training plan. It's, it's hard to evaluate it unless it's sort of comparing apples to apples. Absolutely. So final thing, any uh, final words of advice for those listening out there? Don't get hurt, number one. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, modify your training so you won't get hurt. Number two, do training that fits you. Find out your particular strengths and weaknesses as a runner and then make the training work with you, not against you. And then thirdly, realize that your greatest asset as a runner is your mind. We have the ability to do things that, uh, you know, just a year or two before would seem impossible. And we have all these great examples of people who go out there and do amazing things. So, we, we have a lot of examples of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, so always keep a high level of self-belief and know if you just work hard over time, it's likely you can, you can accomplish great things. That was, that's, sounds like some pretty sound principles for just about anything in, in <laughs> anybody's life. Well, Greg, we'd like to thank you for, uh, for being here with us and giving, your, giving us your time. We wish you the best of luck in your continued coaching and your athletes and uh and your family thank you so much i appreciate it this has been a runners connect podcast if you have a question about what you heard or feedback you'd like to give please don't hesitate you can leave a written comment on the episode either on our website or through our itunes page or you can leave us a voice message the number for that is 617-356-7969 we'll answer as many of the questions as we can in one of our monthly q a sessions We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening.